Well, good morning, everyone. We are in the fourth week of a series we are calling Anticipate. And what we are doing is uh, anticipating the, the celebration of uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. And what we're trying to do is to kind of go on the flip side of being on the other side of history because all we've ever known is uh, celebration of uh, the event. And we never really were, uh, have felt that anticipation of what it must have been like not to have a Messiah, not to have a, a person in Jesus Christ who, who is, is our, our connection with our Creator. And what we've been doing is trying to take a step back in history and kind of tap into that anticipation in the, in the large sense of anticipating the Savior, and then in a kind of a weekly sense, anticipating different promises that God has given us. The first week we anticipated grace, and we looked at the kind of the fall of mankind, and, and looked at how anticipation um, of, of God's grace is something that here in this day that we can anticipate that God is a graceful God. The next week that we looked at was anticipating God's order, that God is a God of order, a God of season, a God of, of light, and a God of darkness, a God who brings things around in concord accordance to his purpose. And then last week, uh, Pastor Eric talked about how we can anticipate God's blessing. And this week, we're going to be looking at anticipating God's purpose for our lives. Now, uh, the staff and I and, and some of you guys, we all packed up last October and we went up to Atlanta to a conference called Catalyst. And we've brought some music back from, from Catalyst and some different ideas back from Catalyst. And while I was at Catalyst, uh, I got to hear a talk by Andy Stanley that, that just rocked my world. It was one of those things that, that when you've read a scripture so many times that, that it just becomes commonplace to you and, and somebody kind of speaks into that and it just, that it just kind of moves us. And it was kind of funny, Andy was talking about how he heard this idea and how he was moved by this idea. And, and I was moved by him conveying that idea. So I'm paying it forward and conveying you, to you guys this idea. And this idea really comes, comes back to kind of this understanding of a couple of key scripture that maybe you've read a thousand times, but, but just kind of read over it like I have. And these key scriptures, one is found in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. And basically, this is where God is introducing himself to Moses for the very first time. And he comes to Moses and he says, Moses, Moses. Moses. <laughs> See, I thought you guys were doing that. I'm like thinking, what great audience participation, but, but it was the tech guys, so at least they were less listening. Moses, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. 
And, you know, you read this and you hear that and you're like, okay. And then if you flip toward the New Testament in, in Matthew chapter 1, it's the genealogy of, of the Messiah that everybody had been anticipating. And it says the genealogy of the Messiah, the one we've been anticipating who was going to come, is this. It was Abraham. It was Isaac. It was Jacob. And if you're like me, you've read that, you've heard that, and it's like, yeah, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, that's just the way it is. But is it? Is that the way it was? Is that the way it is? Is that the way it was meant to be? You see, we look at this, this, this story, and it all comes down to an idea that each and every single one of us wrestle with every single day. And is this, this idea or this word appetite? We all have it. We all have appetites for food, things, people, all sorts of things. And our appetite only understands one English word. Only one. And that word is more. That's all appetite understands is more. More food. More sex. More sleep. I can't think of any others right now. <laughs> Food, sex, sleep. There's got to be something else, right? Uh, money. There we go. Money. Respect. Love, honor, responsibility, all sorts of, uh, of things. Our appetite only understands one word, and that is more. And there's three things that I need you to understand about appetite. Number one, God created appetite and sin distorts it. God created appetite. God created food and, and sex and sleep and respect and, and all these things. Appetite is good. It's God-given. But sin distorts it. The other th another thing about appetite is appetite is never fully and finally satisfied. Appetite is never fully and finally satisfied. And you think about that, and it's like, you know, we just had Thanksgiving, right? How many of us ate Thanksgiving and, and pushed our way back from the table and said, oh, I couldn't eat another bite? Or how many of us have ever said that after a meal? Okay, how many people have never had another bite after that meal? As full as you were, your appetite was never fully and finally satisfied. I don't care what Snickers says. You know, have you ever seen a movie and said, that movie has fulfilled me and I never will have the appetite for entertainment ever again? Appetite is never fully and finally 
satisfied. And we all know people who think it is. And we've seen their lives be devoured by their appetite. Their appetite for sex that goes into pornography. And they think if a little more porn, a little more sex is going to fulfill me and it destroys everyone in their lives and everything it touches. Alcohol, food, power. Appetite is never, ever, fully and finally satisfied. The third thing about appetite is this. Your appetite always says now and never later. When I've walked through my kitchen and there's pumpkin pie there, it calls out to me, Mark, Mark, come over here and eat me now. Never is it said, eat me later. Not once. Always now. Always whispers now. That's why there's impulse buys. There's all of these things because our appetite never says later. It always says now. Now, before we kind of get into this, this idea of, of how appetite has impacted the course of history and it's changed everything, I need to give you a little history lesson on the culture of the ancient Near East. You see, in the ancient Near East, there used to be this thing called a birthright. Now, a birthright went to the oldest son. And the birthright was extremely valuable. It would, it would do three different things. Number one, not because of you doing anything. If you were the firstborn son, number one, you would get two to three times the inheritance of all of the other siblings. Two to three times. So it had a financial component. The, the second thing was, if you were the firstborn son, that you would have the authority in the family. That if the other siblings were fighting or something like that, that you were the judge. And then the third component of, of being the firstborn, of having the birthright, was that you would get this blessing from God. This kind of this, this idea that everything that you do is going to be blessed by God. So being the firstborn son was extremely valuable monetarily and then with power and spiritually. So that leads us to Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 29. And it's a story of two brothers. The older brother, Esau, and the younger brother, Jacob. And you see, Esau was kind of this kind of burly, you know, hunting, gathering type kind of stud guy. Like the kind of guy that Isaac's like, yeah, that's my son. <laughs> Where Jacob was kind of more of the, the mama's boy. So one day, Esau was coming in 
from like clubbing bear or something like that. And he comes in one day when Jacob was cooking some stew. So you got Jacob, excuse me, Esau, all buff and burly and bloody from bear guts and all that kind of good stuff. Then you have Jacob, the mama's boy with his little apron on. <laughs> I love mom embroidered on it that he did. <laughs> cooking, cooking some stew. Esau arrived home from the wilderness. Oh, the wilderness. Jacob cooking his stew. Wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. Now, let me pause here. I am a younger brother. I have an older brother, Russ. Russ and I are four and a half years apart. My brother, when he was 16, I was what? 11 and a half, right? 11 and a half. My brother's first truck was a 1977 Chevy Love that he nicknamed the Zoom Death Wagon. <laughs> My brother was popular. He was tall. That, that, that he had all these friends. He got to go to all the cool parties. He got to do all this stuff. And there was one constant in our relationship. He never needed anything from me. He never wanted anything from me. And I was just a pest to him. And I got to believe that the same is true between Esau and Jacob. I mean, this is the dynamic that all through history, you know, those of us who have older older siblings know this is true and if you're older you know that you didn't want anything from your your younger you know brother so one day when the handsome and intelligent Jacob was cooking some stew his Neanderthal brother Esau came in from the wilderness and Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. And this is what Jacob did. Time out. My older brother wants something from me. This doesn't happen. So this good-looking, intelligent, younger brother starts thinking, what can I get? How can I kind of make a monument to this moment in time that comes so rarely? And a smart, younger brother is going to go for everything he can get. And in a couple of times that this happened between my brother Russ and I, I'd always shoot for the stars at first. I want to drive the Zoom death wagon because all the ladies like the Zoom death wagon. This is when I was older, not when I was 11 and a half. Or, or I want to wear your clothes or, or I want, you know, your, your uh, English beat 
you know, record, you know, I want to play it or, or something like that. And you would kind of negotiate, right? If your older brother wanted something from you that you would try to, you would try to work a deal. And this is what Jacob's doing. He's like, wait a second. My older brother wants something from me, wants some of my delicious red stew. So in verse 31, he says, all right, but trade me your rights as a firstborn son. Now, we've all heard this story. And if you're like me, you think of this story, you go, this is ridiculous. Who would trade their rights as a firstborn son, something that would give you two to three times the inheritance? Is everybody else that would give you power, they would give you this spiritual blessing for something as temporary and as insignificant and invaluable as a bowl of stew? Who would trade their future for something as, as, as invaluable as a bowl of stew? Who would throw away their career? Who would throw away their marriage? Who would throw away the respect of their kids? Who would throw away their reputation in their community? Who would throw away their influence? Who would throw away their future for something as small and insignificant as a bowl of stew? But it happens all the time, doesn't it? Why? Because our appetite is created by God, but distorted by sin. That our appetite is never fully and finally fulfilled. And our appetite always, always, always says now and never later. You know who would throw away their future for a bowl of stew? You would. For the right bowl of stew. I would. For the right bowl of stew. Because appetites are powerful. And appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. So in verse 32, Esau says this, Look, I am dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? Well, maybe you get two to three times the inheritance that you have all the power, that you have the spiritual blessing from God. Maybe that is of some value. I don't know. You see, what's going on here is Esau is being impacted by something that we all face when our appetites are completely blown out of proportion where we, we want more and we think it's going to fulfill us. It's two things that science calls impact bias and focalism. Impact bias is this. That you think that if you do this thing, if you make this trade, if you drink this alcohol, if you sleep with this person, 
if you get this job, if you get this many friends on Facebook, that you are going to feel like an eight, when in reality, you feel like a two or a three. That's the first thing that Esau is struggling with. The second thing is focalism. Is where you focus on one thing and you think that you must have that thing and everything else fades away. And all of us have fallen victim to this, haven't we? If I was only thinner or if I was only had some more power or if I had that person, if I had more money and you you focus on that thing and everything else fades away. Your family, your friends, we've all seen this in other people and everyone else has seen it in us. Impact bias. This is going to make me feel like an eight when in reality it's going to make me just feel like a two or a three. And focalism, focusing on something while everything else falls apart around us, but we are just so driven on getting this one Verse 33, it says, But Jacob said, First, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, therefore selling or trading all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. At this moment, don't you wish that we could, like, construct a time machine that would bring us back to this moment of time and, and go up to Esau and say, Esau, you don't know this right now, but in the future, your sons and daughters and their sons and daughters are going to be held captive as a nation by some of these Egyptians. And they are going to be a slave nation. And I am going to call somebody out of the wilderness, a guy named Moses. Now, don't, don't worry about really who Moses is, but I just want to tell you this, Esau. If you make this deal, that, that God's going to make himself known to Moses. And this is the way God has envisioned it. This is his purpose for your life. He is going to go up to Moses who is going to be this great Savior and it's going to be recorded in history for all time that I am the God of Abraham, your granddad, Isaac, your father, and Esau. You make this deal, that all changes. Not only that, Esau, I want to tell you about uh, the Messiah that you've been anticipating that was promised, that is this blessing to your, that was promised to your grandfather, Abraham, that he's going to, after that, be born a few thousand years later, and that promise is going to become a reality. And he is going to change the world, and people are going to write about it, and there's going to be this guy, Matthew, who writes a book that's a bestseller and translated into every language. 
And at the beginning of his book, he's going to say, this is the ancestry of the Messiah. And he's going to start out with your grandfather, Abraham. And he's going to talk about your father, Isaac. And then it'll say, Esau. But you make this trade, it all changes. Don't we wish that we could go back in time? In verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal and got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. It's the worst ending to a story ever. No one would go see this movie. He had no idea what he just traded. He had no idea what God had envisioned for his life. Could you imagine being able to go back in time and just say, Esau, you have no idea what God has planned for you. That your place in the redemption of the world. And you think that you're starving? Let me tell you this. You would be better off to die today than to make this trade. Because if you make this trade, it will not be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But it, God will forever be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We all have a bowl of stew. We all have that thing in our life that we potentially could give up our reputation. We could destroy our marriage. We could lose the respect of our kids and their kids for something as temporary and invaluable as a bull of stew. And the reality is, you have no idea what God has planned for your life. And this is why if Esau could have had people around him that knew about his appetite, who were given the relational right to speak into it, To be able to say, Esau, 
man, I know that you're hungry right now. But you have no idea what God has in store for you. And if you make this trade, you may not know how much damage it causes right now. But you may be giving up everything for something as temporary and insignificant for a bowl of stew. And we have to be people who, who pattern our lives to, to be able to recognize that appetite is God-given. But our broken nature distorts it. And be honest enough with people that God has put around us who will speak into our lives so our story is not the story of Esau. And you might be wondering, like, well, what, what could be possibly my bolus do? And I want to share you a, uh, with you a question that Andy Stanley asked. What is not illegal or immoral that you would not want to explain publicly? Let me say that again. What is not illegal or immoral that you would not want to explain publicly? It's a good place to start. Because that's the thing. That's the thing in our life where our appetite can get blown out and we can miss the plan, the vision that God has for our lives. Because the reality is that none of us know you don't know, I don't know what God has planned for our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, this is what the scripture says. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, you have no idea what God has in store for your life. And don't you dare throw it away for something that is as temporary or invaluable as a bowl of stew. You guys pray with me. Dear Lord, we all have an appetite. We all have an appetite that was given by you but has been corrupted by sin. God, we have all have an appetite that will never be fully and finally satisfied. God, we all have an appetite that says now and not later. God, let us be honest women and men of where our appetite is. And God, bring us people who in a loving way will 
speak into our lives and love us and see beyond the now. And God, we pray that they can see the vision that you have for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.